Well, good morning, church. Good morning, my brothers and sisters. Man, it might be nice and warm outside, but this is the place to be this morning, is it not? With the body of Christ to celebrate and to honor him. So, so glad you could join us. If you guys are tuning in online, hey, glad to see you. I can't see you, but glad you're watching. Um, We are in our series in Mark, um, looking at the life of Jesus. And uh, we're in chapter 3 this morning. So if you want to grab a Bible or an app, turn to Mark chapter 3, starting in verse 7. Going to read from 7 to 19. It'll be up on the screens for you as well. And then we're going to look at the passage. Mark chapter 3, starting in verse 7. Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the lake, and a large crowd from Galilee followed. When they heard about all he was doing, many people came to him from Judea, Jerusalem, Idumea, and the regions across the Jordan and around Tyre and Sidon. Because of the crowd, he told his disciples to have a small boat ready for him to keep the people from crowding him, for he had healed many so that those with diseases were pushing forward to touch him. Whenever the impure spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. But he gave them strict orders not to tell others about him. Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted. And they came to him, and he appointed twelve, that they might be with him, and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. These are the twelve he appointed, Simon, who he gave the name Peter, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, to them which he gave the name Boangarith, which means sons of thunder. Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. The word of the Lord. So we're looking in Mark. Now, Mark... In my estimation and study of it, Mark had a purpose when he wrote his book. He had something in mind that he really wanted to get across, people to understand. It's right there in Mark 1, chapter 1, or chapter 1, verse 1. This is about Jesus, the Son of God. It's like, this is like his thesis right at the beginning, that he wants people to know that Jesus is the Son of God, who this Jesus was, um, which makes sense when you realize his book is written to non-Jewish people. So to the Gentiles, which is probably most of us, like the Greeks and the Romans. Um, He wanted to prove Jesus is the Son of God. And all throughout this book, we will see this declaration pop up. Um, There's probably some that you can think of already. We read a passage, the demon saying that he was the Son of God. The voice from heaven saying, this is my Son. We have that proclamation from Peter. We see that from even kind of at the climax from a Roman soldier watching his crucifixion saying, yes, this surely must have been the Son of God. So it's woven all through the book. So I hope that by the end of our study in Mark that we can all proclaim together that Jesus, yes, he is the Son of God. So when we start in this this passage, we see kind of an interesting note. Jesus withdrew. Have you ever thought of that? Jesus withdrew. He kind of took a step back. And what did he take a step 
back from? Well, the verse right before that, the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they could kill Jesus. We're barely into chapter three of Mark's gospel about Jesus and people already want to kill him. The response to Jesus' message was so intense and immediate that their only option, they thought, was, Kate, we've got to get rid of this guy. So the Herodians and the Pharisees were plotting to kill him. So the Herodians were probably another sect, kind of like the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Herodians. The Herodians were probably a little bit more political, being tied with Herod, Herodians. You know, they were, they were really wanting to see Rome gone and the Jewish nation kind of be on its own. So they probably were a little bit more political activated than, than the Pharisees, but they were wanting to kill Jesus. Um, it was such a problem for them. So they saw him as a huge threat immediately. I think for a few reasons. He was a leader. He had people following him. He had power, and he demonstrated it. And they were threatened. Their way of life was threatened, so something had to be done. Something would be done, but not yet. I think this is important to know. That's why Jesus withdrew. Because if he would have stayed in that environment, I think it just would have blew up right there and then. But Jesus is like, this isn't the time. We see that throughout Jesus' life. He's always like, this isn't quite the time. He knew the times, which is awesome. It's very interesting to know that Jesus actually withdrew to the lake to not be involved in the death of him quite yet. But right, right from the beginning, Jesus knew it would happen, but it wasn't the time. But we see here, Jesus withdraws, and there's a crowd that follows him. And then there's a mass amount of people that come to see Jesus. From Judea, Jerusalem, Edomia, the region across the Jordan, Tyre, and Sidon. Now this isn't like a small area. Just Jerusalem to Capernaum, where Jesus was around the lake, uh, yeah, the lake, would have probably taken like 20-ish hours to walk. Like, they didn't have cars, just FYI. (laughs) But that's like two days, if you're pushing it, to walk to see Jesus. And people came from farther away than that. So there's like Galilee here, and then Judea, and, and no, Galilee, Samaria, Judea, Idumea. So these people from Idumea travel all the way through Galilee, or through Judea, and then through Samaria. Maybe they even went around Samaria because people didn't like to go through Samaria because the Jews and the Samaritans kind of had that conflict. I mean, we see that. Jesus and his disciples, they traveled through Samaria, and they tried to stay somewhere, and they're like, get out of here. You're going to Jerusalem. We don't like you. So these people could have traveled for days and days just to see Jesus. I mean, we'll travel a few days to go on a vacation. I mean, maybe if you're like a really big fan of someone, like you'll travel a few hours to go see someone in concert or go hear a speaker somewhere, but would you travel days and days of walking to see someone, to meet someone. There has to be a lot of hubbub going on for you to be like, yeah, you know what, we're going to take the next week and we're going to walk and go meet this guy in the desert. Like, I mean, we wouldn't do it. We wouldn't walk. I don't, I don't know, I wouldn't walk. That's a lot of walking. Like, if I can't drive, I mean, some of these people probably had horses or donkeys or carts or something, but that's still not fast. That's still tons of time to go and travel. 
but people traveled to see him. How did the word about Jesus in this short time, we're three chapters in, travel so far so fast? Well, Jesus, that was his plan, right? Was to travel around to different places and spread the word about what was going on. I think another aspect kind of helps us see how this word traveled so far and so fast is when they celebrate Passover, the Jews all come to Jerusalem, and then they all go home to their own places. And when they come all to Jerusalem, Jesus is there, and he's teaching, and he's doing things, and they go home, and they tell other people about it, and they come back, and it's like this this huge social network, if you will, of spreading this news about Jesus. So people hear about this guy who's healing and casting out demons and teaching something that is just bringing fire to people's lives. So they will travel so far for a chance to see that. Or for some people, this was those who were diseased and wounded and sick. So if you think about those people traveling, they'll be even longer. But like, this is where I'm going to put my hope in this guy. They traveled far to see him. Now, another thing to note on this is that there was such a crowd. I mean, this is also, this is kind of side note stuff, but I think it's very interesting. When we see Jesus, he's, he's now saying there's such a big crowd, I can't just stand here and teach you. Like, I actually have to line up some people to get a boat ready for me so that I can, like, go out into the water a little way so I'm not going to get crushed by this crowd of people just surrounding him. I mean, this is what we think of like in celebrity status of like these mass mounts of people just trying to, trying to get at somebody with the cameras and everybody like there's the guards blocking. I'm like, <laughs> you know, I kind of see like that's a little bit of what some of the disciples were doing probably at this point. He's like, hey, have this ready for me because this is crazy crowd. They're trying to get that close to Jesus. For he had healed many. But you notice it doesn't say all. He had healed many. I think he healed very many. And then we see, have this little interesting tidbit about whenever the impure spirits saw him, it says in verse 11, they fell down before him and cried out, you are the son of God. But he said, he gave them strict orders not to tell others about him. We see this in quite a few places that Jesus ordered the unclean spirits to be quiet, to not speak, to not tell others about him. And I think that's a really big thing. He did not want his title, the Son of God, to be proclaimed by the demonic. He would be the witness to who he was. His Father in the heaven would be the witness to who he was, and the Holy Spirit would open people's eyes to who he was. Because he says that, he he doesn't say just be quiet. He says, no, don't tell others who I am. He's like, that will come on my own account and between me and God. Not the word of the demonic. But I find it's interesting as well um, that Jesus didn't even say anything. The demonic people just came up and fell down and cried out who he was. There was something that they knew, that they could see, that they could tell. And Mark, he points, he points to that and says, hey, even the demons were saying this is the Son of God. But then we move on from this. So Jesus has all these people going crazy, and then he makes a little bit of a strategy shift in his ministry, if you will. 
He's like, okay, things are starting to get bigger than what I would say one person could do. Because that was his strategy to begin with. He's like, I'm going to bring people together. I'm going to teach them. I'm going to send them out. I'm going to empower others to spread this news. So this is the next step in his ministry. He says, he went up on a mountain, verse 13, and he called those who he wanted. And they came to him, and he appointed 12 of them. Um, so who were these dudes? Who were these guys? Let's take a look at this list of who Jesus appointed. So it's interesting, in the list, there's three lists in uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And Acts has a little bit of listing, but not a complete thing. John doesn't list the disciples. John talks about the 12 or the 12 disciples in that sense. But in all the lists, there's only one name that's different. And we'll get to that. But that always has three groups of four. Right? That's 12? Yes. Three groups of four names that are always listed in the same groupings. Now, they're always, they're maybe in different orders, but there's always the three groups of four names. So we'll look at these. These are the 12. The first one is Simon, who he gave the name Peter. This is Simon Peter. We know Peter. We've heard about Peter. Peter is kind of, I love Peter. Like, I don't know exactly how to describe him, um, but he's kind of just like, the, let's go for it kind of dude. I mean, my favorite story is like, he sees Jesus on the beach and he's like in a boat fishing. This is after Jesus is resurrected. And it says that he puts his jacket on, jumps in the water, and then goes and see Jesus. So just like, why did you just, anyways, whatever. Uh, total side note. So there is Peter, Simon Peter. And then we have two brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. These are the guys that Jesus gave the name Boanerges. Man, I can't say. You have fun with that too. Just say it with confidence and people won't know. That's all it is. If you ever have trouble saying a Bible name, just say it confidently. And, and anybody who like says it differently will be like, oh, maybe I'm saying it wrong. Like, it'll just, it'll be, it'll be fine. I should take my own advice on that. So this is James and John, uh, two brothers, which Peter, James, and John, like we see when, when we see Jesus bringing like just the closest of his disciples together, that's who it is, Peter, James, and John, that, that Jesus has kind of like an inner three there. He gave them the name Sons of Thunder. We don't exactly know why he gave them that name. But I mean, if you've got 12 dudes together for three years, you know nicknames are going to come out and happen. Like, you need, guys need to get, get together for like two days and there's nicknames and stuff going on. And you guarantee that that's what was happening with Jesus and his disciples. Uh, we have Andrew. That would be the brother of Peter. Um, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, and Thomas. Philip, we don't know a whole lot about. Um, Bartholomew, we think he also goes by another name, Nathaniel. Um, I'll explain this. There is uh, a lot of Greek name versus Jew names, or Jewish names that the scriptures talk about. And so that's why you'll see someone say, this is this person's name, but then this is also their name. We looked at that with Levi, Matthew, the same guy, but Matthew is his Jewish name. Levi would be his more Greek name. That's why Mark, who's writing to Greeks and Romans, would probably use that. Um, so the same here with Bartholomew. We think it's also Nathaniel, the guy who is sitting under the tree, and Jesus is like, I saw you under the tree. And he's like, holy smokes. We have no idea what that interaction means, but all we see is that he responds with immediate faith and belief. 
Just like, just like that. Like, it's amazing. Um, Thomas, well, Matthew we looked at a few weeks ago. If you want to know more about that, go back and listen to that sermon. Uh, Thomas, this is, this is the Doubting Thomas. This is, wouldn't that be a great nickname for you to be known by for the rest of your life is Doubting Thomas. Uh, another name that he was known by is Didymus. Uh, then we have James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus. So Thaddeus here is the only name that's different across all the lists. Now, in the other lists, his name is Judas, not Iscariot. Actually, they actually put that in there. It says Judas, not Iscariot. I'll give you a little tip. There's 12 disciples. It kind of feels like if you've ever tried to remember any of all the dwarves in The Hobbit, like remembering all their names, it's like, no, nobody can remember all their names. You can get like Biffer, Buffer, Bumber, you know, whatever. So this is kind of like the 12 disciples. It's like, does everybody remember the 12 disciples' names? But I'll give you a hint. If you remember three names, you've got six of them. Okay? All right. So there were two Simons, Simon Peter and then Simon the Zealot. There were two Jameses. James, the son of John, and then James, the son of Alphaeus, or also known as James the Lesser. Um, now, I appreciate how the, the series The Chosen kind of approaches that. They call them like Big James and Little James. So like it could have been just James was just short or something. Maybe that's the nickname that came out from the guys like James, the short dude that gets translated lesser. Anyway, so there was two Simons, there's two James, and there's two Judases. Now, we typically probably don't refer to this other guy known as Thaddeus as Judas because Judas. There's probably a reason why they list him here as Thaddeus rather than Judas, um, just because of Judas Iscariot. There is a idea and a thought around that. I mean, that's why even if you read in your Bibles, the book of Jude is actually the book of Judas, but we called it Jude because we it helps us not get so confused and mix up because there's six of the names. So all you got to do is Simon, James, and Judas, and you got most of them. So that'll at least help you. A little tiny pro tip there for you. Um, so, and then it ends with, and uh, Simon the Zealot. So the Zealots were just a very aggressive religious group of people that sometimes would take to Activision to achieve political goals. Um, so, and Judas Iscariot. But I want to point out something interesting. Why did Jesus choose these guys? Why these guys? Well, it says it in verse 14. He appointed the 12 that they might be with him and he might send them out to preach. He wanted them to be with him so that they could see, so that he could model, so that he could send them out. How do you disciple someone? Oh, this is a great question. I think you have to first teach them. You have to tell them this is how you do it. You have to model it to them. You have to show them what it looks like in action. You have to give them the opportunity to do it. Be like, okay, I've told you, I've showed you, try. And then you need to also correct. Be like, oh, just a little bit different. That's how you teach someone something. I mean, we see Jesus doing that all through the Gospels. 
He's like, hey, I'm doing what my father is telling me and I'm doing what I'm seeing my father do and this is what it looks like. He's like, okay, now go out, do this. And it says many times that he rebuked them. He's like, ah, you guys got it wrong again. This is actually how it is. This is actually how it goes. But in order for that to happen, they had to be with Jesus to see and to experience. I find it very interesting that it's as soon as the crowds kind of get overwhelming in a sense of just there's too many people because this is mass amounts of people. He brought people on board. He's like, all right, let's go. Come on, calling you, 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 you. Let's do this together. He got him to help with crowd control. Man, that's a great place to start. If you want to start serving Jesus and you don't know where to start, just help with crowd control, help ushering. Great place to start. Maybe setting up tables, serving coffee. Whatever. And he sent them out to preach. He sent them out to share the good news of the gospel of who he was. The kingdom of God had arrived. And he gave them authority to cast out demons. As I was thinking about this this week, one scholar brought up a very good point on this that I'd never really thought of before. Not only could Jesus cast out demons, because we see that throughout the Gospels, but he could give that authority to someone else to do the same thing. So it's, it's like this. I have the authority by the government of Alberta to perform weddings within Alberta. But what would it mean if I had the authority to give other people that authority? That elevates the level of authority that I have, does it not? I'm not just this person who has that authority, but now I'm the person who actually can give out that authority. Same way, like, if I have the authority to drive a vehicle, but what if I had the authority to say whoever I wanted could drive a vehicle? This is what we see with Jesus. Not only does he have the authority to cast out demons, but he has the authority to give other people that authority. To say, yes, you, I give this authority to you. This, you, I give this authority to you. That means he's like the top. Like, there is no authority greater than him. At the highest level, which again goes to support Mark's thread through the whole thing. He's the son of God. He is God on earth. So there's a couple things out of this passage that I want to look at in, in application to us today in our lives here and now. Interestingly, this, this, this note really stuck with me. Is he appointed 12 that they might, that they might be with him. He wants us to be with him. He wants to be with us. Like, this is the heart of Jesus. Like, even on earth, he's like, I want these people to be with me. That's the whole reason he came, right? Was to fix what was broken so that we could have a relationship with God again so that we could be with God. 
I mean, and like case in point is he sends his Holy Spirit to be within us. Like how much closer can you be than within? Because he cares. Over and over we see that Jesus had compassion on people around him. I mean, even when, even when he says that he's going to leave in John 14, 3, he's like, if I go and make ready a place for you, I will come and take you to be with me so that where I am, you may be too. He wants us to be together with him in relationship, like, and close relationship. I mean, that, that requires us to actually spend time with Jesus to be with him. You know, I think um, often what I find in my own life is I get so busy about my day, I just kind of like forget. It's like, well, I got to get this done. I got to get this done. I got to get this done. But Jesus is like, I want to be there with you. I want to be there with you when you have to, yes, take out the garbage. Why not? Can we not have relationship even in those small things or driving or whatever it might be? He wants to be with us and us to be with him. Now, the second thing that I want to look at as far as application for this comes out of the question of why did he choose these 12 guys? Why did he choose these ones specifically? Well, I think Jesus chose these 12 guys specifically to be an example for us of who can follow Jesus. I mean, we don't know much about some of the disciples, but we know that this is a very diverse group of individuals. I mean, look at this, like Peter, even just think about Peter as an example to us of who Christ wants to follow. Peter failed big time. He denied Christ three times. And he was the guy that says, I will never, I will fight to the death for you. And the same day, he denies him three times and Jesus looks across the courtyard and looks at him and he doesn't look at him with judgment. He looks at him with sadness because he wants to be with him. And Jesus goes to him and he restores him and he's like, follow me. Yeah, you failed. That doesn't mean you're done. That doesn't mean you don't have a chance. That doesn't mean you have to walk away. I don't know, I don't know where you are. You feel like Peter? You feel like you've failed? Maybe, maybe you even denied Christ. That doesn't mean it's over. He loves and forgives so deeply. What about Andrew? Andrew is kind of the guy that I see as like a little bit of the goody two-shoes who's like, I've always done the right thing for my whole life all the time. And I mean, I think there's a lot of us in the church like that where we're like, I've always done the right thing all the time for the right reasons, or maybe not the right reasons, to be honest there. Um, That is a blessing to be following Jesus from your entire life. But there is a danger in that I think there is a judgmental jealousy side of things sometimes. I mean, we, we see the disciples, they're arguing about, like, who's the best? <laughs> Which one of us is the best, guys? 
Like, I think that comes from having this attitude of, hey, I've always done the right thing. It's a little bit of the prodigal son with his older brother. He's like, hey, dad, I didn't go and waste your money. I've been here working my butt off for you. Where's my party? It's like, like that kind of attitude, right? Jesus still calls us to follow him. He still wants us to follow him. And what about Thomas? Doubting Thomas. Have you doubted? Thomas said, not until I put my hand into the scars and the wounds will I believe that Jesus rose again. And Jesus came to him and said, yes, hey, I'll work with you. Feel. Here, put your hand here. Believe. What about James and John, the sons of thunder? Bold, brash. Sometimes we can get very... What about Judas? What can we learn about Judas as an example for us? Well, one, I think we can learn that among those following Christ, not all are following Christ. I think we can learn and look that we're going to have those in our lives that hurt and betray us. But God knew. Jesus chose Judas on purpose to actually bring about the death of Christ, which was God's plan in the beginning. God uses those hard things and situations to bring about his glory and goodness for those who follow him. He works all things together for the good of those who follow him and are called according to his purposes. Even those hard things, Jesus can use. And I mean, I love it. You look at, you look at this group of people, tax collectors, political zealots, blue-collar workers, students of the word, All walks of life, Jesus said, come follow me. And I think that's the call for us today too. It doesn't matter where you are, who you are. The call is to follow Christ. And this is the interesting thing. All these diverse people with like their views against one another and all their little petty differences and whatnot, Christ united them. And Christ unites us together to follow him. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for the example that you gave us in Scripture of you, Jesus, of yourself, of what our lives can look like in following you, but also the example of those you chose to follow you, God. I find great hope in that for myself. God, that you chose these flawed, hurting, broken individuals to follow you. It was for your glory and honor. God, I pray that we would follow you together from all different walks, all different areas of our lives. Pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.